Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Barber's pollworm is most commonly found in summer dominant rainfall areas of Queensland and the northern half of New South Wales. It is a blood-sucking gastrointestinal parasite and can be fatal for all classes of sheep and goats. Barber's pollworm is a prolific breeder and shows resistance to all classes of anthelmintics, making it a difficult parasite for producers to control. The release of the new vaccine Barbavax in 2014 has given producers a new option in their fight against this advantageous parasite. With the great start to spring experienced across New South Wales, this year is shaping up to be a difficult year with Barber's pollworm. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dr. Brown Bezier, one of Australia's leading parasitologists when it comes to Barber's pollworm. Brown graduated as a batch from Bachelor of Veterinary Science from the University of Queensland in 1973 and then went on to complete his PhD in Barber's pollworm at Murdoch Uni in 1992. He's worked extensively with the Western Australian Department of Agriculture through to 2016. He's been a veterinary officer with them and then went on to be a veterinary parasitologist and the leader of parasitology research extension in the with the National Sheep Cooperative Research Centres. A highlight of Brown's career has been collaborating with Scottish scientists to test the first Barber's Pole vaccine, Barbavax, which led to its commercial development in WA. Brown's currently self-employed as a parasitology consultant and is adjunct associate professor at the Murdoch Uni and his major interests are still with biology and control of parasites of livestock, the management of anthelmintic resistance and communicating parasite control information to industry. Welcome Brown and thank you for joining me on It's Time For You. Yeah, thanks Yana. Yeah, very happy to be on the show. Brown, what makes Barber's pollworm so unique from other gastrointestinal parasites? I guess there's two main main features that make Barber's poll unique. Firstly, unlike other worms, it's a blood sucker. That's the other par parasites we see cause scouring, which gives us a, an obvious sign. But all too often, as a blood sucker, the first sign we see is a, a, a dead animal, which is uh, um, because of the excess blood loss. But I guess the other main feature is that, again, unlike other worms, Barber's pollworm produces enormous numbers of worm eggs. So it means it can go very rapidly from being <clears throat> at very low numbers on a uh, sheep pasture to very large numbers. And sheep can take in a large number of worms very quickly and uh, lead very quickly to, uh, to, um, to signs of often uh, uh, leading to death. So compared to other worms, it's both a more, more lethal worm and, uh, and big infections develop very quickly. And I've said in my introduction that we find it in summer dominant rainfalls. Does it affect other areas of Australia? 
Yes, Bahamas pileworms are very much an opportunist. So wherever there's uh, periods of moisture on the pasture, um, which is essential for, for the development of the, uh, the of the barbus pole egg, but also warm temperatures. So, of course, in summer rainfall areas where those two things coincide, so we uh, rainfall uh, through from sometime in spring through to sometime in autumn, we have a large danger period in uh, parts of northern Australia. But as we come further south into winter rainfall areas, there's numerous areas where there's sufficient uh, um, um, a long enough period of moist uh, conditions, green pasture, but also still warm enough temperatures, not too hot, others fold, um, will die up once we get into extreme summer temperatures. But, but uh, typically in winter rainfall areas from late spring through to early summer um, before it gets too dry, and then again in uh, late autumn through to early winter before it gets too cold can be major danger periods. And uh, there's quite a, a number of areas around Australia where barbus pole worm is a very a large danger, more sporadic than in the uh, the summer rainfall zones, but nevertheless a, a major risk. And Brent, look, arguably we coexist with other gastrointestinal parasites and not too badly, but why is barbus pole worm so difficult for us to control? I guess there's two features. As, as mentioned, uh, infections can arise very quickly. So often it occurs without warning. So even if people are vigilant regarding inspection of sheep and even uh, perhaps doing some worm egg count monitoring, it's not difficult for a barbus pole to escape that, uh, uh, that net and, uh, and sudden outbreaks uh, can occur. But I guess one feature that uh, is very important regarding barbus pole, it appears very easily set up to develop drench resistance. So compared with uh, several other worm species, we find uh, a larger range of drenches resistant um, to barbus pole than uh, for, for, for others. So I guess combined with those two facts, the fact we can get rapid development of um, serious uh, infections and the fact that it can be more difficult control because there's a, uh, um, a more severe drench resistant situation means that uh, barbus pole stands out as a, a, a problem parasite to control. With drench resistance being such a problem for producers, what should they consider when they start to look at their control programs for this year? I guess the, it's the essential starting point is always to actually have a program which doesn't rely simply on periodic monitoring or inspection of sheep and then reacting. As soon as you enter a reactive mode, almost certainly the pastures will be heavily contaminated with barbus pole worm and you simply get into a cycle of frequent treatment to try and damp it down until finally the conditions are changed and becomes too dry or, or too cold. So a preventative program basically means looking at the, uh, the time of the year when barbus pole numbers will be on the rise. So if we're talking summer rainfall areas, we're looking sometime as we move through spring. So around about uh, this time of year, October, this uh, barbus pole will be on the rise and, and then certainly persist for a matter of some months. If we're talking about a winter rainfall area then uh, in, in autumn, we need to be aware that there's like to be a, a flicker of activity. So concentrating our, our uh, measures to reduce the numbers of larvae at those points is very important. And that certainly usually will involve drenching at some point, but also we should be aware that deliberately creating pastures which have low numbers of barbus pole worm, so spelling them, there's many ways of spelling pastures, using cattle or, um, 
as a, a different species and, and numerous other options to avoid grazing with sheep at a particular time is one way to make sure that, uh, a, that a pasture carries low numbers of barbus pollworm larvae. That's always the starting point for any preventative program. But then on top of that, we can bring in some of the, the options. Um, of course, we now have uh, the possibility of vaccination. There's some of the other options and for the very long term, breeding for worm resistant sheep. But I guess uh, marrying the, uh, the annual cycle of when barbus pollworm occurs to the available options to, uh, to reduce the, uh, the number of worm larvae that are infecting sheep is really the basis of any program. Brian, you just mentioned the new vaccination Barbavax for um, as a control measure, and you're the director of one of the companies and of the company that produces it. 2014 saw the launch of this new option for producers, and it was pretty exciting because it gave us a different option instead of um, using drenches. Could you tell us a bit about the development of Barbavax? Yes, certainly. It was one of the um, the highlights of my uh, career, of uh, which uh, started battling uh, barbus pollworm back in the 1980s, and went through a variety of, uh, uh, I guess, looking at various uh, um, programs and uh, timing of drenches and so forth. Got various diagnostic measures to detect barbus poll, but the possibility of working with Scottish scientists uh, to finally commercialise a vaccine was uh, a, a real uh, highlight of, uh, of my career. So. For, I guess back in the 1980s, work started back in around the world, but particularly in uh, in Edinburgh in Scotland, um, which resulted in the uh, developing of of a vaccine based on taking antigens, these are proteins, out of, uh, of worm larvae and making a vaccine from that, injecting that back into the sheep to um, provoke an immune response. But they found that they couldn't re reproduce that any. Um, in terms of a, a DNA type system, which would be the normal way we would um, upscale production of the uh, of, of the antigen. So it got back to was it possible to uh, grow enough barbus pole worms in sheep and then harvest them after the sheep have been slaughtered at Nabatai and then use those worms as the basis of producing uh, a vaccine in large quantity. And I guess uh, it goes back to 2008 at a conference when I was speaking to Dr. David Smith, the key. Um, scientist at the Mordun Research Institute in Edinburgh, that uh, we uh, put those together and decided to uh, collaborate and seeing whether that's possible. And that has in fact led to a system based exactly doing this, where sheep are purchased, moved to a feedlot, give a small um, infection of harvest pole, they move on to slaughter, the, uh, the gut collected at slaughter, the worms removed, and then the vaccine made from the, uh, the harvesting of large uh, numbers of harvest pole worm. And I guess, about a large part of the development journey, as we could call it, involved the uh, testing along the way, the development of or understanding of the optimal uh, dose rate, um, any sort of limitations, uh, the length of protection period that uh, that, that we could get. And uh, finally, 2014, we uh, came up with a commercial product um, based on uh, the, uh, the harvesting of worms the, uh, and the production of the vaccine uh, in Albany, WA. Brian, how does Barbavax differ from a drench? I guess um, a very important difference indeed, Fiona, um, and very important that uh, people um, contemplating the use of uh, Barbavax uh, understand that <clears throat> unlike a drench which removes worms pretty much within a matter of hours after a drench is given, we can expect that if the drench has been effective, all those worms are dead and at least we've got a reprieve for some time. Barbavax pole worm has some of 
some barbavax has some effect after vaccination within a matter of a few days um, a good percent, about 50% of worms will have died because the, the vaccine actually prevents the uh, the, uh, the utilisation of um, of red blood cells, which is as a blood sucker, Barber's pole worm relies on. But its main effect is not actually to kill worms. It's mainly to prevent the development of new immature worms taken in as worm larvae, going through their development phase. As they begin to suck blood, they take in antibodies from their bloodstream, which have been uh, created by the uh, the vaccine, which, and the, the antibodies then prevent the, uh, the digestion of red blood cells and effectively the worm dies, the worm starves. And I guess that means that it's a preventative rather than a, an immediately uh, killing um, effect as you, get, as you would get with the breach. <clears throat> so we need to be aware that it's a, it's a longer term um, preventative uh, tactic rather than uh, simply killing worms and then waiting for them to come back. We get um, at least six weeks after a vaccinated animal has, uh, has, has, been, uh, has been vaccinated where we have uh, protection. And uh, the, uh, the benefit, of course, is that um, it's not relying on a, on a drench and not likely to develop resistance. And you've just touched on that just there at the last point, drench resistance, which leads me into my next question. Drench resistance in hotspot areas, Barbers Pole hotspot areas in New South Wales has led some producers to even leave the industry. It's so bad in their areas. Why, what is the role of Barbavax and why is it so important in the fight against drench resistance? I guess the the, uh, the key role for Barbavax is that it reduces reliance on drenches and it allows us to get a better use from the remaining drenches. I'm certainly aware of situations where people have resistance across the board to virtually all drench options. I'd, uh, I'd expect that most folks still would have some of the uh, the more newly introduced drenches that remain effective, but we certainly hear some horror stories where there's not really much left in the uh, in the arsenal against Barbers Pole. So if we can move to a strategy such as, as uh, Barbavax, which doesn't place uh, pressure on drenches, so instead of needing to drench numerous times a year and hence inevitably lead to drench resistance, we can reduce the number of treatments that are needed and we can extend the life of the remaining drenches. So my um, expectation would be that a uh, program that's based on the, uh, the, the use of uh, pasture management to reduce the overall contamination of a, a property regarding Barbus pole, then the vaccine on top to maintain low levels throughout the, uh, the chief Barbus pole se season, and then the, uh, the judicious use of drenches at times, bearing in mind they'll still be needed to control other worms, the uh, scour worms, which will occur from time to time, but it will mean that overall using the vaccine will reduce the total number of treatments needed and that will uh, reduce very much the, uh, the pressure on drenches for resistance. And Brown, is the vaccine similar to the other vaccines that we already use on farm? There's a very major difference Fiona, um, regarding Barbavax and the others. Of course, people are, are used to giving a very wide variety of, uh, of vaccines. But of course, the very common ones would, of course, would be the clostridial vaccines, the three-in-one, six-in-ones, and so forth. And people know, of course, that normally you give two injections and then an animal as a lamb is, is okay for a year, and then a top-up dose once a year. Barbavax is very different in that and it utilises a very different immune pathway. So we need to first prime the uh, the animal with two vaccinations, typically around about three to four weeks uh, uh, apart. And uh, the first one in the lamb would be given possibly at marking. 
then a second uh, follow-up, and then a third one, again, another round about three to four weeks later. At that point, you're getting the maximum immunity, but even then, we still need to vaccinate at uh, six weekly intervals over the over the period when barber's pole worm is a risk. So fairly typically, a lamb vaccinated at marking time would require, before the barber's pole season drops off, a total of five vaccinations. And of course, the question is, you know, is that a practical, reasonable thing to do? And I guess there are two answers. Firstly, the nature of the vaccine means there's no other way uh, to, to reduce the number of uh, vaccinations given to, to obtain the, uh, the protection over the period. But I guess the second uh, point to note too is that very frequently people would be drenching sheep at a fairly similar um, frequency, even more frequently than that. So I guess the aim is that uh, although compared to other vaccines, uh, which only need a couple of uh, um, treatments. Barbus pole needs multiple treatments, but uh, we are getting the longer-term protection, and um, it is uh, having a big role in reducing the need for drenching. You just mentioned that there's a priming process involved. How important is that priming process, and how important is the timing of it before our barbus pole season begins? The timing, the timing is important, and I'd certainly urge people to uh, to, to look at both the uh, the Barbavax uh, uh, website, simply searching on Barbavax, or the Wormboss website for the um, the details of our recommended timing. But in general, we 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 need three to four weeks after the first vaccination, <clears throat> followed by a, a second vaccination three to four weeks um, after that, and. There's possibly opportunity to extend that to uh, to some degree. There's certainly some uh, investigation going on to extend that. It won't be by a very long time, however, and it may mean, mean we need a uh, a larger dose of vaccine. But uh, it is important that uh, people contemplating the vaccine um, do look in, at their sheep management program so that after marking, they're ready to bring the animals in, let's say, four weeks later. Now, this is not necessarily ideal, but uh, you know, given that is in fact feasible. Um, it's it is an investment in the uh, in getting the effect of uh, of Barbavax. But uh, with time, we'd like to think that we can extend the intervals. But uh, it's important that uh, people don't sacrifice the uh, the possibility of getting the the full vaccine effect by extending the intervals out too long. And Brown, when we're looking at the vaccine program itself. What are the classes of sheep that we're targeting? Are we just looking at targeting the most vulnerable stock we have or uh, can we use it across our flock? Ideally, it would be used across the flock because uh, the, uh, the the fact is we need to look at the uh, the whole property as a potential barbus pole risk. So even if we do uh, use the vaccine, let's say in lambs only at one particular point, we know very well that other groups will be at risk and uh, and not only at risk um, to themselves, uh, but also in terms of contaminating pastures so that the vaccinated lambs going onto those paddocks may then be at risk of, in terms of overwhelming the, the, uh, the vaccine. So we can, in fact, use the, uh, the vaccine in all classes. Um, the ideal um, point arrived at after several years would be that animals are being vaccinated as lambs, then as hobbits, and, and then as ewes prior to lambing. And as, as we uh, move through the cycle, so a, uh, let's say a ewe lamb is vaccinated as a lamb, then when she's a hobbit, we can drop off one of the one of the priming vaccinations come the next spring when when uh, the vaccine course begins again. Let's say next year when she's a um, when she's been bred and she's due as a lamb, 
we can a single vaccination prior to landing, you know, is really is the start of, of the, uh, the the the, um, the vaccine cycle. So in general, uh, recommend we recommend vaccination across the uh, the entire flock. But over time, the uh, the number of uh, vaccinations needed in individual animals uh, drops off because there is some immune memory that will uh, persist and mean that we don't need the priming process to begin again each year. And Brown, is there a different vaccine program? Has it been developed for the different classes of sheep? Um, not the, the the vaccine um, program certainly. The vaccine, of course, is is, is the same. But uh, um, looking, let's say, the difference between um, lambs and 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 ewes, the idea would be that ewes are, are vaccinated prior to lambing. So if they've never been previously vaccinated, that will require three treatments prior prior to lambing. If the ewe has been vaccinated uh, as a lamb, then she'll need just the one vaccination uh, prior to lambing. Um, but then the lambs as uh, totally naive animals to uh, to vaccine and to worm exposure, they'll need their their priming doses then. So certainly there is a um, a difference in the program, and uh, very important that uh, the uh, the program relates to the time of year when uh, Barbers Bowl is uh, is most most active, and of course it needs to fit with the management program on the property. And you mentioned there that they only need the priming vaccinations once in their lifetime and then in subsequent years they can just start with the six weekly program. Once you give them that first vaccination if they've already had their priming vaccines, how long does it take for their immune system to activate? Um, well, if, if you're talking, let, let's say an example might be a hogget, which was uh, vaccinated as a lamb and comes through to the uh, to, to the following year, um, we'd simply um, you you would wait till the the, uh, the the time of year when you when you need protection. In fact, before Barbers Pole is really active. So, for instance, if we're talking about um, summer rainfall areas, it may well be something like say uh, early November when we we know that Barbers Pole is beginning to be active. Maybe earlier, depending upon weather conditions in a particular year. But uh, normally, at that point, giving a a single single vaccine, then um, there's sufficient immune memory that that will. Um, mean we don't need to go through the whole vaccine process. So we'd simply give the vaccine firstly and then, then six weekly intervals. And how important will regular monitoring be? You, you said at the beginning that it's really important that Barbavax is used as part of a holistic or integrated approach to solving the Barber's pollworm problem. So how important is regular worm egg count testing? I think it always remains important in a barber's pole area, and this, of course, uh, is regardless of whether you're using a, a barbervax or not. But uh, we know very well that uh, in the uh, the major areas um, where barber's pole is a continual threat, the uh, the only real way to stay on top is to be monitoring at intervals that mean we can we can pick um, pick the likelihood of a, of a barber's pole problem up. So, so so to say, even in a vaccinated flock. Uh, let's say we we vaccinated a, at a certain point, it'll be and, and we're due for another hit, say six weeks later. It'll be very worthwhile taking uh, um, uh, samples to monitor at let's say five weeks, six coming up toward the vaccination time, so we know where we are. This does two things. Firstly, lets us know if there's an immediate risk, but also tells us something about the the vaccine performance and uh, the sort of background that we're that, uh, we're uh, using the uh, the vaccine against. But uh, um, uh, the risk is that uh, by some 
vagary of uh, weather conditions or perhaps pasture moves where animals have been vaccinated animals have been moved into a high risk paddock where perhaps there's been an outbreak of barber's pole which is uh, heavily contaminated in the pasture and leads to massive uh, challenge with barber's pole worm to, um, to, to the sheep. This may be sufficient to overwhelm the, uh, the vaccine. So staying on top with um, worm egg counts is, uh, is very important. I suppose that plays an important role too in Barbervax only works against Barber's pollworm, so it would play an important role to tell us what other species are active and at what levels in the animal. That is a very important point because, uh, sure, we're not only monitoring for Barber's pole, but uh, bearing in mind that uh, other worms are also waiting in the wings. So if we're talking about uh, the summer rainfall zones, the black scour worm, Trichostrongylus, is uh, is also a major problem and in fact on most properties there will be a requirement for at least one probably more drenches uh, specifically for that uh, particular worm and there and the vaccine barbavax of course has no effect whatever against uh, the other worm types when we go to site to winter rainfall areas we also have black scour joined by the brown stomach worm as major problems and a whole host of lesser players but uh, we certainly need to be uh, um, on top of those and uh, worm monitoring is, uh, is is always part of the process so i guess that um, regardless of use of the vaccine you know we're all we're always going to uh, require a monitoring program it may well be though that we can fit the monitoring program around the vaccine use to um, to maximize the the practicality and would it be fair to say that if black scale worm was coming through there's not as much drench resistance around for black scale worm as there is for barber's pole worm so potentially i suppose although we have to drench again and we often think when we use a vaccine we don't want to have to drench if we're drenching for those other species we might be able to use some of those some of those drenches that are no longer effective on barber's pole worm would that be correct? Yes, that's a, a possibility of using, uh, in effect, a, uh, a drench as a, a narrow spectrum. Um, I guess a particular um, um, uh, issue we, we find is that that, uh, that the macrocyclic lactone, so the ML drenches, so I'm talking ivermectin, abamectin, and moxidectin, um, resistance is, is uh, particularly common in just two worms, pretty much around the world, but certainly in Australia. So barbers pole worm on the one hand, and uh, till the side of the uh, the brown stomach worm on on the uh, on the other, uh, the, the brown stomach worm is not particularly important in uh, the summer rainfall areas, but certainly we get have, have the situation where perhaps none of the MLs is uh, is uh, um, useful against barber's pole on a particular property, but it'd still be fully effective against black scale worm. That would be a common situation. Now we need to be careful regarding the use of of, um, of drenches in that situation be, um, where we might make worse the, uh, the resistance to to, um, uh, to Barber's pole because when we talk resistance it may mean that it still is let's say 70% effective which which gives us some control and I guess in that situation where we found there's resistance in, in that instance to, uh, to one of the, uh, the ML, ML types you'd be wise to use that drench in the future in a combination so with with uh, the various other um, um, drench types in uh, a double or preferably a triple combination type drench, uh, which makes it still likely to work. It'll still kill all the other worms, of course, but also um, will maintain effectiveness against Barber's pole worm for as long as possible. Great, thanks, Brown. 
Well, the producers I've spoken to, um, including myself, we uh, have had great results with Barbavax and it's certainly gaining in popularity. But for those people who have yet to launch into a Barbavax program, what can they do if they would like more information? Where's the best place that they sh can go? Well, the two sites that I mentioned, uh, Piana, are uh, really, I guess, your first port of call. So uh, the Barbavax uh, website and uh, and and uh, the Wormboss website both have a great deal of detail, but they also have contact details for people um, who you can um, contact. There's uh, you know, websites for an email and so forth, um, and in some cases phone numbers for um, you know, people who can advise. You'll find that most of the, um, the, the uh, sheep consultants and advisors and, uh, and veterinarians involved in the sheep industry in the major uh, Barbers Pole zones will be well aware of Barbers, uh, of uh, Barbavax and, and, and the potential. But I'd certainly recommend speaking to an advisor before you take up using Barbavax because it should be part of a, a total integrated program and uh, that's best put together um, in terms of considering all the, the, the management and the environmental and uh, other possibilities, not least the drench resistant situation. So use those two sites for a start, but also local advisors generally will be aware. There's been quite a lot of uh, information uh, provided through the uh, professional circles to make sure that advisors are aware of the, um, the role of Barbavax and uh, um, certainly um, if you're starting off on the on a new journey with uh, the potential for Barbavax, then worth having a talk to someone who's uh, who has that background. Excellent, thanks, Brown, and thanks for all the information you have shared with our listeners and for joining me on It's Time for You. Yeah, thank you. Uh, very very pleased to 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 see um, a, a new uh, uh, weapon in the arsenal against uh, the old uh, the old enemy. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Brown. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.